0: Let's have a reading. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be reading from the book of Exodus. From the book of Exodus, chapter two. Beginning in verse one. It's entitled, The Birth of Moses. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that she was, when he was a fine child, she laid him, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. When Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it, and she saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Amen. All right, church. Now, as, we, um, as part of worshiping our Heavenly Father, let's go ahead and take our tithes and our offerings. If you would pray with me over those and as you're making those just drop them in the pillar on your way out after service or just go online ehctx.org and you can do that electronically all right but let's go to our heavenly father lord god holy and precious is your name thank you for your word that we can open it and read things and still learn from it thousands of years later and these lessons remain true and your the truth of your word can be applied to our lives Just as much as it could back when it was written. God, we thank you and we're amazed by that. So, God, best part of worshiping you, we're declaring you are sovereign in our lives. So, God, take these tithes and these offerings and take them to serve your kingdom. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, church.
1: No, last uh, week we began our Moses, Prince of Egypt. We talked a little bit about Moses, the man, and the myth. I gave you guys a little bit of source material that uh, this comes from uh, the Great Lies from God's Word series, that is including a lot of books that I've actually preached through right here on this very stage, whether that be Joseph or David, Esther, um, Elijah, and then now going to Moses. And this is something that we had been planning, I had been planning. Uh, since actually probably February of this year. Didn't know exactly when it would come, but I knew that we'd be doing it during the summer months because I feel like it's just a great opportunity for you to possibly read a book that would keep you, you know, really kind of engaged on what we're learning, but also just the character of, you know, the different uh, Bible uh, names that you know and going a little deeper with them really usually kind of speaks to you in a brand new way. And so these are the teaching titles for the things that we've already talked about last week as well as today and where we're going. So let's go ahead and go to the teaching titles here. Last week we talked about the origin story of a nation. That's the Jewish nation, the the nation of the Hebrews. And today we're talking about a Jewish boy is the prince of Egypt and how Moses came to be that prince of Egypt that we talked about. And now I also did a little test last week. Maybe you remember I did a little test on exactly how old you were. And I said, if you think about Moses in this way or this way, it tells me about how old you probably are. But we had these different images. There's Charlton Heston from all the way back in the 1950s. I don't know if any of you guys actually remember any of the 50s. Is there anybody here today who actually remembers the 50s? I love you guys. Thank you all. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Remembering the 50s, And being old enough to remember the 50s beats the alternative. Can I get an amen? I mean, right? So there you go. Or many of you might remember Moses from 1989's Dreams Works uh, called The Prince of Egypt, and that's more of the cartoon. But however you think of Moses, these are really not what Moses is. Moses is a very, very ordinary man used by an extraordinary God. We talked about how. His myth is a much bigger shadow than the reality of who he was as a man, but that's not meant to discourage you from looking up to Moses. It's actually instead designed for you and I to identify with him because the truth of the matter is, is that I don't know about you. I have a hard time really identifying with the perfect saints, you know, I mean, because I'm just not one. (laughs) I mean, I have the wrong attitudes. I do the wrong actions. I make bad decisions and I go the wrong directions in so many ways in my life that Whenever you say somebody's a saint, I never think of myself. I don't know, can I get an amen? Are y'all talking about you never think of me in that way? I'm confused. Like, what's going on here? Y'all just insulted me? I'm not sure. Uh, No, seriously. None of us think of ourselves as saints. And yet we see somebody like Moses we can actually begin to identify because he's very much like us, just used in a powerful and amazing way uh, from the Lord himself. Now, let's talk about some things to talk about this today and some things to learn. You can always learn something from the scriptures. And I want you to take away at least one or two things that you might not have known before whenever you read the stories that we preach about. So as we read in Exodus chapter two, Moses's parents, whose names were Amran and Jacobed, were from the tribe of Levi, the tribe that God would later ordain as priests. And scripture says that he was a beautiful child. Now, hold on just a second. How many of you had a beautiful child when they were born? Can I get an amen? How many of you have ever been somewhere where you saw their child that they thought was beautiful, but you didn't quite agree? Can I get an amen on that? right? I mean, you know, sometimes beautiful children are not beautiful to everybody who's not their parents. That's just the way that it is. We don't actually know what God's word is saying about this beautiful child, Moses. I think what he's probably referencing is, is that there's something different and some sort of aura about Moses that seemed to be a little different, even from birth. If you guys can kind of understand what I'm saying, I think we probably all understand that sometimes that happens, and you can just tell there's just a little something different, a little something extra in a certain child, and they just seem to be in a different vein than all the rest, I think that's what's going on when God's word talks about Moses being a beautiful child. And so we think, (laughs) all of us do, that our children were beautiful. And I feel sorry for y'all being confused because truly I had the three most beautiful children in the world. Um, But we know that children are children and children have issues, including crying at the most inopportune time. How many of you remember your children waking you up at the most inopportune time? I mean, when when you've been three days without a good night's sleep and your child woke you up because they just didn't know they should not do that, right? So think about Moses, when he literally would cry just like every normal baby does and will and always will, he was literally putting his own life in the firing line. Because what was happening, if you remember last week's message, the Egyptian king had sent out, the Pharaoh had sent out an edict, and it basically said if a little girl is born among the Jews, then she can stay alive. If a little boy is born in the, among the Jews, you throw him in the river to be drowned and, and, and die. They were fearful of the fact that the Jews were multiplying in number and becoming strong in their own country, even underneath the nose of all the Egyptians. They were worried about what might happen if war broke out and if they would join the side of their enemies, they would be fighting an enemy that was literally living in their own house. Are you guys with me? Y'all understand what's going on? So every time Moses the baby cried, he was putting his parents and his own life in jeopardy. Now, I can't even imagine. (laughs) I mean, if you remember when your children were that young, can you imagine the first three months of your life of your child's life, and trying to figure out a way that nobody outside the walls of your four, you know, walls would know that you had a child. It's almost impossible. I mean, you can hear children crying from everywhere. And if they're one of those really special kids with a set of lungs, like Christina Aguilera, a little early, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, just loud and and you can't hide it for anything. Can you imagine the pins and the needles that Aram and Jacobed were on as they waited, it's just a breath away that they're gonna come and knock on this door and find this baby that does not have the right to live according to the edict. Can you imagine? I mean, talk about a time where you'd have to be relying upon God and nervous as a cat. You know, I know that's not a scriptural term, but you know what I'm saying. And here we see something. We see God at work. The story that I'm about to tell has got God's fingerprints all over this thing. And it is something that you and I, as we begin to look into and go a little deeper, we realize just how much at work God was and how powerfully he shows himself. But also the human partnership that we see from this woman, especially Jochebed, the real hero of this part of Moses' story is his mama. I mean, she put everything on the line so he might live, and somehow she thought that God had something special planned, and somehow she was right. Let's go to our next slide. As we look at this next slide, this is Hebrews chapter 11 from the BibleGateway.com, and if you look at this, if you heard it way back in the day, um, like when I was growing up, it was not... Uh, faith in Action, it was titled The, the Hall of Faith. Like, the, the, you've heard of the Hall of Fame before? This was termed the Hall of Faith. In other words, the Faith Hall of Fame. The people who showed incredible faith and faithfulness in their lives when they were living. And this is another term that I actually really like the idea of putting your faith into action. And then it goes through example after example after example, all the way through the stories of the Old Testament to talk about how somebody had a faith and they put it into practice and what it looked like. And you in this group see that Moses' parents were mentioned and their sacrifices were honored. I want to go to that next slide. And as we do, we see what Chuck Swindoll says about this. And I want to be very clear. In just a moment, I'm going to read. There's literally three whole slides. It would be moving pretty quick. But for many of us, we have that temptation to fall into laziness and call it faith. I'm going to say that again so you all are ready to actually say an amen. All right? You know what I'm saying? Like we fall into laziness and then we label it faith. Amen? I mean, sometimes we've done that. Well, I don't know what to do, so I'm just not going to do anything, and I'm going to label it that I'm waiting on God. I, oh, it's just me. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's just me? No. No, we've all been there. But here's what I love Chuck Swindoll is really, really gut level. He's a very, very uh, dependent person when it comes to the faith in God. But he also understands that sometimes what we see and how God moves the most often and most frequently is whenever somebody who is committed to the Lord says wherever God is leading me, that's where I'm gonna start working and I'm gonna let him tell me that I'm in the wrong spot or redirect me rather than have to make him pull me up, (laughs) push me this direction, pull me against my own will. You you know what I'm saying? Oftentimes we get lazy and we label it faith, but it's not. Chuck Swindoll says, I'd like to take a moment to focus on this tension between careful planning and full-hearted faith. Are they mutually exclusive? Not on your life. Yet to talk to some believers, you might be led to think otherwise. I've counseled some believers without a job who tell me I'm just waiting on the Lord to provide a job. Fine, I reply, and where have you placed your resume? (laughs) The old motto of the Revolutionary War soldiers applies to many areas of our life. Trust in God, but keep your powder dry. (laughs) In other words, Place your faith in the, in the Savior's hands, but stay at the ready. Do all you can to prepare yourself for battle, understanding that the ultimate outcome rests with the Lord God. And then let's keep going. To walk by faith does not mean that you stop thinking. To trust God does not imply becoming slovenly or lazy or apathetic. What a distortion of biblical faith. You and I need to trust God for our finances, but that's no license to spend foolishly. You and I need to trust God for our safety, but we're not wise to pass on a blind curve. You guys see where he's going? He had more to say, and I'm going to be honest. He went on to talk about how we needed to trust God for our health, but we shouldn't eat Twinkies all the time and just expect that God was okay. I got a little under conviction, so I didn't put that one on the slide. You guys know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's what he's trying to say. We can't just put it off on God and say, God, you've got to rescue me. I've got nothing to do with this. The truth is, is instead very, very different. And that comes to our big idea. And this is what it is. Your world changes through events that have God's fingerprints and human partnerships. You guys see what I'm saying, what I'm saying here? Your world changes through events that have God's fingerprints on them, but they have human partnerships as well. Would you guys join me? Ready? One, two, three. Your world changes through events that have God's fingerprints and human partnerships. In other words, it's us that we have to stay ready to change according to where God is leading. And when we recognize God's fingerprints, that's where we go and participate. You guys with me? Okay. All right. So very quickly, I want to talk a little bit more. Let's go to our next slide. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He disregarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. In other words... Moses had a different set of values, and it came out in his life. Let's go to our next slide. Something to learn, the second something to learn, that Moses was not the firstborn son of his Jewish family. Moses' older brother and sister, Aram and Miriam, were important parts of his story. Chuck Swindoll notices and assumes some things that we see evidenced in the people's recorded actions, and I want to talk a little bit about that. And I want to just real quickly, if you guys kind of just focus in with me for a second, I want to be real careful that you understand that some of the things that I'm about to talk about, I do believe they are evidenced in the things that were acted out upon, but it is an assumption on my part and one that Chuck Swindoll shares. I want to be very clear. If you go back and read, you will not find every piece of evidence in there. I will tell you what's an action and I will tell you what's an assumption. Are we all good with that? Okay? Because the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, sometimes the Scriptures has some open space, and in the midst of it, you can probably see what actually happened, even if you don't know perfectly, and it's not expressly written. I don't think I'm going too far, and I don't think I'm going out of what God's Word is trying to teach us. So I just want to promise you that. And the reason I'm calling attention to it is, I want to be very, very careful that we honor God's Word for God's Word, and call an opinion an opinion. You guys with me? Okay, so let's go. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Let's go to our next slide. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it. Here is what Chuck Swindoll says and what I tend to agree with. How many of you guys have ever been out in a fishing vessel where you're near a bank in a lake or a river and you see reeds out on the side? How many of you have ever had that happen? You've seen that, right? If you've ever been there, you know that reeds up at the top look very, very, you know, easy to be blown over, very wispy. But then you get down to where the, where the reed meets the water and that's pretty stout and pretty sturdy, right? Have y'all ever seen that? You try to move that or kind of fold it over and it's not the same. You could fold it at the top, but down here at the base, it's a little harder. Here's what Swindoll says. He thinks that what she did was based on a lot of foreknowledge and a lot of insight and a lot of planning. Here's what he says. He says when he she put that baby in the basket she probably knew that the Pharaoh's daughter came to that area and he said I always thought to myself she put the baby in the basket and just set it afloat in the water just hoping and praying that it would come about. Now how many of you guys have ever thought that before, right? You probably have thought that before. It's not what he actually said in the scriptures. Go back one slide if you don't mind. Haley and Haley, shout out. Thank you. You came home to see your family on July 4th. We put you straight to work. You're the best. So what does it say here in verse 3? She placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. She didn't hope that it would turn out good. She put it where it was best suited to be found. Now think about this for a second. Last time I was bathing in the Nile, I'll tell you what happened. All right. As you think about this, if you're bathing in a river and you're a person who doesn't necessarily swim or not necessarily sure of what you're seeing, you're not going to go out after that basket out in the middle. But if you're interested in something that's unusual and it's right there along the bank among the reeds and it's not going anywhere with the current, you're probably going to go and check it out and see it. You guys with me? Why am I saying all this stuff? What's the point? I'm glad I pretended you asked. (laughs) The reason I'm saying this stuff is, is that lazy faith puts it out in the river and goes, Lord, help it. (laughs) The kind of faith that makes an impact has God's fingerprints on it, and yet it also has human participation and partnership in it. I'm not gonna set it afloat and just hope I'm going to put it over in the reeds where it can be found and gotten to easily. You guys see the difference, right? And for for us who have kids, for us who have kids, God, get a hold of your heart. If you're the person who just pushes them out into the river and says, man, I sure hope it goes well. I got bad news for you. It won't go well. That world out there is designed to chew people up and spit them out not to push them towards faith and family and feeling good about themselves. It's actually absolutely opposite of that. So you had best do your very best planning, participation, and your best sleight of hand that shows them that they're doing it all themselves, but you're manipulating it as much as you possibly can to give them the chances to succeed. Do you guys see what I'm saying? If you're not you're not going to give them the best opportunities that you want to give to your kids. I'm here to tell you that we tried our very best to give our kids increasing opportunities to be on their own, make their own decisions. But when we knew that they were walking into one that they didn't know the full ramifications of, we didn't just pray and hope, we started talking And sometimes it was weeks and months of talking about something before they decided that they would start parroting back to us the principles of God that we had been sowing in their life for months. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? If you're not doing that for your kids or your grandkids or the people that are important in your life, you're pushing them out into the river and hoping and it probably won't go well. I'm just telling you, as best I can, do your best to say, I'm going to place the child in the reeds. I'm not going to just let it go and hope. And then I'm going to place it in the place where I've seen the the Egyptian Pharaoh's daughter come on a number of different occasions. And then do you guys know the rest of the story before we go to the rest of the story? Miriam, that person that I talked about just a few minutes ago, do you remember what happened with her? She was watching the basket She's watching the basket to see what would happen, and then she's gonna come back and tell her mama. And actually, not just that, but she's also gonna get involved in a conversation and have a conversation with the woman who's about to take this baby into her life and into her heart and into her home. It's all happening, and it's got God's fingerprints on it, but it's also got man's partnership on it as well. That's important. Let's go to our next slide. This is Moses' mom, Jochebed. This is her way. It started with trust in God, and she did all that she could for as long as she could. It continued with teaching and preparation. I believe, and Chuck Swindoll feels the same, She told Miriam what to do and what to say. And that's that little asterisk there so you can know that that's my assumption and not in the scriptures. But it paid off by staying consistent and faithful while she had Moses. As long as she had him in her home, she instilled in him the truth of God and God's word. Moses in the end identifies first with the Jews and not the Egyptians. How in the world is that possible when that's the prince of Egypt And these folks are not. These folks are building the bricks for the palaces for the Prince of Egypt. How do you identify with these folks first instead of these? Somebody did something really good to put the truth down in that child's heart. And we don't have to wonder who it was. The Faith Hall of Fame lists her name and has her listed as Moses' mother and father who cared about their children in every way possible. Don't miss this it's on our next slide. Moses escaped death, and Moses's mother was paid to raise her own son for the daughter of Pharaoh. If you don't know the rest of the story, Miriam goes, hey, what's going on over here? You got a little baby that you found? Nobody's there to take care of the baby, and my goodness, why would a Pharaoh want to do that with all the screaming and crying and all that? But I tell you what, how about I do this for you? This is all the New Texas version, y'all with me? How about I do this for you? How about I go and find one of the Hebrew women to take care of that baby and raise that child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter says, That sounds great. And guess who she goes and gets? Moses' own mother to raise him under the knowing of the, the prince. A Pharaoh, who, who had said every Jewish boy has to die. She knew that this was a Jewish boy. He lives because she has the favor of the Pharaoh working on her behalf. It's got God's fingerprints on it, but it's also a man's partnership. You guys with me? Moses had the best education in the most advanced society in his day. Moses truly was a prince of Egypt. So... Here is where I feel good, and I wish I could stop. And I wish that there were parts of me that say, we're just moving on. But I cannot, in good conscience, do this. And so I'm going to be talking about something over the next few minutes that are really, really difficult to talk about, but I feel like I really do need to. And I can promise you... that there will be some of you who are mad at me for one reason and then others of you who will be mad at me for another reason when I'm done. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to know that I am a friend that loves you and that is under obligation not to you first, but to God first. So I'm going to one day stand before the Lord And he's gonna say to me, Randy, there's some things in my word that you didn't talk about often. And he'll be right. But this particular situation, I cannot simply allow to go by without touching on something that's definitely, definitely touchy. So I'm gonna ask for a little bit of grace And I'm going to ask that if I bother you or offend you, that you do me the service of texting me or calling me so that we can have a discussion. Because I've figured out that in our world, there's not a lot of discussions anymore. There's just a lot of assumptions and um, a lot of pigeonholes for people that we like to put them in and then we write them off. Have you all ever heard of ghosting somebody? when you were a friend and then suddenly you can't be found with an APB, right? All points bulletin, right? You can't be found. What I'm about to say is probably going to offend every single one of you in this room in one way or another. But to be very honest and very blunt, I feel like I have to say something. A couple weeks back, I talked about parenting and how the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes we look at our kids and we go, why don't they know this? They're supposed to know this. I mean, they're old enough to know this. What's their problem? And I told you (laughs) that that is God's way of reminding us that our job is not yet done. That whenever we see a weakness or a failing or a misunderstanding or the wrong viewpoint in our children, that we are supposed to step forward and say, this is my job. Sometimes in my world, my reliance upon and the anchor that is the Scripture of God's Word puts me in direct opposition with what is popular and with what is the modern philosophy of society. I have long believed with my whole heart that this pulpit is a privilege And that I should never get up here and get on a soapbox that Randy wants to talk about. But it should always be something that is scriptural. You guys with me? As I said earlier, I started talking about and thinking about preaching this message series all the way back in February and pretty much had decided back then. Little could I have ever thought about the situation with the Roe v. Wade thing going on. Now you know where I'm going. Should I just pray and just like (laughs) let some of y'all just scurry? I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, is that little could I have ever thought about Roe v. Wade being overturned. So there's protests that are going on. You guys have seen this. Um, Definitely a difficult thing. And you know what? I know that in our society, even among churches and church people, that there are people that feel both ways on both sides of this. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna make everybody mad (laughs) rather than not talk about it at all. Because here's the truth. If I am the spiritual father of the church as the pastor, and I don't say that with any pride, I say it with responsibility alone, It is my responsibility to teach you what the Bible says and that I will stand before God to give an account for. So my hope is never to offend, but I know that there is times, there are times, excuse me, where the gospel and the truth of scriptures offend modern sensibilities. I can't look at a passage of scripture where the Pharaoh did demands that babies be killed and not mention the thing that is going on and the touch point of the Roe v. Wade decision that's going on right now. You guys with me? So I wanna keep talking about this and I think that there will be some who will agree with parts and disagree with parts and that's fine. But I know that I will stand before the Lord and if you know you've been here a long time, you know that you've probably never heard me mention this from the pulpit. Not because I don't have a very clear opinion and clear decision from what I believe God's word to say but because my intention is to continue to teach God's word. And sometimes when you cross these bridges because you've manufactured something, nobody comes away with respect, even those who agree. You guys with me? So let's keep going. Pew Research says a few things in the data about abortions in the United States. And this is the kind of blown up version, but here's some of the things that we take away. Approximately 70% of the women who have had an abortion are in their teens or in their 20s. Now, here's where we can all agree. Thank God that I'm not responsible in constantly giving every single day's thought to the things that I made mistakes on when I'm in my teens and my 20s. Can I get an amen, right? There are a lot of young women who have left the church because they know that the church's stand most of the time is pro-life, but they don't hear the grace in that pro-life statement. And a lot of them are leaving the church in their teens and 20s because they've made a mistake. Because the problem for teenagers and 20-year-olds is that they don't get that stuff is temporary. It feels absolutely incredibly lifetime, right? Right? And so because of that, they leave the church, they think God hates them, and they have nothing ever to do with the church again. And in the midst of it all, it would be very easy for me to stand up here and bang the pulpit and say, I'm glad that Roe v. Wade is in the process of getting overturned. And I'm gonna tell you something, spoiler alert, I am, I am. I believe it's biblical, but that puts me in opposition with about 60% of the world. About 60% of the world says they don't believe that Roe v. Wade should be overturned. I'm gonna tell you why I believe that God's word teaches us something that might be counterculture. And I'm gonna do so in such a way, I hope that you will come away because dirty little secret, dirty little secret, people that you know that you don't know have had an abortion have had an abortion. That's true. Whether you admit that or not, or whether you grasp it or not, numbers don't lie in that way. There are people who made bad decisions in their teens and 20s who wish they could undo them, but they realize that they can't. I sit here, the father of three daughters, and I'm gonna tell you something. If you think I believe that that would never happen to my daughter, I'm telling you, fear And lack of understanding and lack of wisdom can make you do some crazy things that you regret for the rest of your life. It could happen to my daughter. It could happen to your daughter, your granddaughter. It could have even happened to you. And now I'm going to call out some other people. Guys, if you were the father of a child and walked away and didn't support that woman who didn't know what she would do you're just as much at fault as she was but she's carrying the stigma and you walk away scot-free and it ain't right yeah i knew i wouldn't get an amen (laughs) but i'm telling you this is wrong on all levels it's broken our world is broken I believe that the only answer is the scriptures. This is not what the world says. This is what I believe that God's word says, and it's different. I talk a lot about being timely and being timeless, and how if we're constantly worried about where the things are today, where's the wind blowing today? This is what I believe today. That will always feel like shifting sand. But if you will say, even if it hurts, I'm going to follow the true north of God's word. Even if it hurts you right now, it will bring healing. It will bring solidity and a foundation to your life. And I offer everything that I am saying with a broken heart, knowing that this is our fallen world. And I'm talking to fallen people. And the reason I know it is because you're listening to a fallen preacher. So there's nothing here that involves judgment. If you look at Jesus, talking about the men who were let off scot-free, do you remember the, the story of Jesus and the harlot? Where they bring her and they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Well, who was there with her when she's the only one you brought? Seems like if she's caught in the act of adultery, you know who the guy was. Where's he at? And why did you just bring the lady? And what did Jesus say? Where are those that condemn you? She said, they all left. I don't know. He said, I don't condemn you anymore, but go your way and sin no more. I'm not going to say that abortion is okay because I just don't believe that it's true. I believe according to the scriptures, it puts us as Christians and Bible-believing Christians in direct opposition with God's truth and the world's opinion. And sometimes that's what it is. And I can't do it any other way. Because here's what I found. When I'd rather go with the flow, (laughs) I've found everything else in the book to be true. So I can't take what I want and throw out the stuff that I don't. Two separate agencies reported how many abortions. If you go back with me, I know you can't follow me. I mean, why in the world would you? (laughs) Two separate agencies reported how many abortions took place. There were almost 630,000 according to the CDC. And the Guttmacher Institute, there was about 930,000. Whichever one you think is right. I'm going to let you choose and let you decide. That's not a hill I care about at all. But here's what I do know. There's a high percentage. That means that somebody in your family probably has had an abortion. And for us who want to declare what is right but do so with no grace, we're pushing people away that need God's grace and feel that need in a very acute way. But we as Christians are getting in the way of the only one who could bring healing to that situation. Something's not right about that. Okay, now let's keep moving. I'm sorry, I knew I was going to be here a little while. About six in ten Americans say abortion should remain legal. That's the modern take. But check this out three in ten or more Democrats and Republicans don't agree with their party on abortion. That means if you're a Democrat, who's officially, uh, their party is pro-choice, you might not agree. About 30 to 40% don't, but they still vote Democrat, and we think we've got them figured out. And then if you're on the Republican side and your official party says we're pro-life, there's about 30 or 40% of the people in there that don't agree with that, and you think you've got them pegged, and you're wrong both times, both ways. And by the way, six in 10 is not a big majority. That means if I take a group and pull them, six in 10 say yes, but the other four say no. That's only one away from split right down the middle. So whenever we are out there banging and banging and banging the drum for what we believe to be right, but we're doing so with no grace, we're hurting the cause of Christ and we're keeping people who need his healing in a powerful way. We're keeping them away. All right. Let me move to this next one here. And ladies, just in case y'all were mad at me, I thought I'd throw up a, a gorgeous hunk of man up there. Shelly, now I know why you asked me to grow my sideburns and shave my beard. I get it now because I've already got the suit. Shouldn't have said that. isn't it funny how in our world, we want our superheroes to be more human. We want that gray area. It makes them more relatable. But in our politics, man, we don't want any gray area. You're either for me or you're against me. You know, back in the day, Superman was the model of virtue, not a single weakness except for kryptonite. But have you noticed how somebody like Batman and some of the more modern, and we talk about their weakness and this problem and their flawed and their personality issues and all that. We're getting to a world where we want our heroes to have no gray area. I mean, more gray area, but then we want our politicians to have none. (laughs) Interesting to me. I don't know if it matters to you, but it sure does to me. All right, so here's where I come From the scriptures and talk about this very quickly from psalm chapter 139 verses 13 through 16 you created me in my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb i praise you because i am fearfully and wonderfully made Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And then it goes on. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I have dedicated babies in this place and you've said amen when I said, there's never a child born without a purpose and without God giving them life. I believe it. The question comes in where life begins. I understand. But in these passages of scripture, including the one in Jeremiah where he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I believe this tells us that God's ordination of our lives begins even before a birth is given. This is why I believe what I believe. So here's what I would say give grace be an instrument of God's grace and healing for people. (laughs) When they talked about Jesus in the book of John, he said, we beheld him and he was full of grace and he was full of truth. This is truth. I hope it's being presented in a way that you understand the grace. Now I'm gonna make it personal. I thank God that I was not a person who lived in China between 1980 and 2015 when the one-child policy was enacted. Let's go to our next slide. Moses escapes death, lives to fulfill his destiny as the man God chose to use to accomplish great things in his day. He went from prince of Egypt to a father of a nation. (laughs) He had a destiny and he fulfilled it here's what I want to share with you. That's Tori in the black, that's Taryn on the right, and that's Tatum on the left. And had I lived in ancient Egypt, they would have all lived. Had I lived in China before 2015, at least two of them would not. The likelihood is is that three of them would not, because they weren't a boy, and our society there values men over women. And so the likelihood is that none of the children that God gave me, none of the three most important people in my life outside of my wife and my God, would even exist today. This is why what is right is right. Period, end of discussion. And can I tell you something else? The truth of the matter is, is that I'm not even really telling you the whole story. The whole story is is that my wife never should have come to be. Her mother and her father were never married. A GI back from Vietnam and a one night stand with a gal that he knew produced my wife. The best woman I've ever met in my life, bar none, bar none. A woman who influences all of you in ways that you don't even know, many that you do, and influences thousands of kids in her teaching career and raised the three best girls in the world. Sorry, y'all can have second best, third best, whatever. I'm a little bit prejudiced about these girls. None of them should be here, but they all are, because God's purpose stood. Now, what does all this have to do with Moses? What am I talking about here? I'm talking about a woman who defied the government to do what was godly and right, no matter what. I'm talking about a woman who said, My child is a gift from God, and whether the government recognizes it or not, I will keep this child. I will raise this child in every way I can, and then when I can no longer raise this child, I will release this child and I will give them back to the God that gave them to me in the very first place. You look in this story and you see that people were usurping God's choices in children's lives and it was okay. I'm here to tell you it's not okay. And it's God's choice that should stand and not ours. I can't avoid it. I couldn't skirt around it and I couldn't pretend that it wasn't there. I have to talk about the truth of God's word when it's right there in front of my face. So here's what I would share with you. If you are a woman, who has been affected in some way in the things that we've talked about, I wanna tell you that you are loved and that you are God's child yourself. If you have something like this in your past, you are forgiven. If you seek that, there's no justification and no condemnation. I mean, you don't have to do these things to be forgiven from God. That's not at all what's going on. It's so important that you grasp and understand that God's purposes matter. And that when we talk about God's fingerprints, about the children he has blessed us with, there is also the partnership that you have to say, it might be hard, but I will take this child as a gift from God. And I will let them be what God created them to be. And I will do my best to make sure it happens. It was a lot. And I hope that if this is something that is difficult for you, that you will let me know. Because the truth of the matter is is that even if you or I are on different sides of this issue, it doesn't change the fact that I love you. It doesn't change that at all. Not, not one bit. It doesn't change the fact that I respect you wherever you've been. Let's just agree that you won't hold me accountable for the things that God has forgiven in my teens and 20s if I don't do the same to you, amen. <laughs> All right. I wanna keep moving here and I'm just about done. You look in your life, and I talked a lot about this last week, about the idea of changing your world, not in the, not in the way that we do when we talk about people you know, changing their world in like the graduation sense, you know, I'll go out and change the world. But in your life, how do things change? You ask what needs to change, and you ask where is God working? You look for God's provision and his preparation in your life, and that's where you roll up your sleeves and say, it's got God's fingerprints on it. Now I'm rushing in to partner with him, not overtake it, but to partner with him, And I'm going to be involved in that, in whatever he leads me to do. So as you and I look where God is working in our lives, we have the opportunity to be partners with him rather than just simply spectators of what he's doing. It's important. Let's go to our next slide very quickly. This is all that we see before on Moses' mom. But at the end, we see that she released Moses, trusting God with the results. Here's what I mean. Go to this next slide, and we're bringing this to a close. The sister, Miriam, asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, go, she says. So the girl went, got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will, what? Pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became Pharaoh's daughter's son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And Moses sounds like the Hebrew for draw out. In other words, she named him. She had her own part to play. And when you release your children, what the world begins to do in their life, you cannot help but do your very best to prepare them, steal them, be there as their safety net, give them wings, give them roots, do everything that you possibly can to help them to make sure that they are ready for the world because the world is a hard and harsh place, but they need your help and your protection. I'm going to call an audible. No music because I've just gone too long on the other part. But I want to end right here. And I want to tell you I can't think of anything in the world that's more valuable than the children that God puts in our lives. Every single one of them a gift from God. If that is true, then there's nothing in the world that we can dedicate ourselves to that is of more value and more worth than our children, our grandchildren, the people in our lives that look up to us in any way possible. We can influence them for God. It's the most important thing you can do. I'm ending right here. You guys remember, any of y'all watch, It's a Wonderful Life, (laughs) during Christmas, the man who got all of these debts that have piled up, that piled up, they piled up. And then all of the people gather around him, pay off the debt. And his brother hoists a glass of champagne and says, here's to my brother. He's the richest man in town. He's not the richest man because he has money, but he's the richest man because he has given his life to help others and to be a blessing to other people the most important thing that you can do with your life that God has given you is make an impact for eternity in the lives of other things that eternal, that are eternal. And the only thing that the world has that is eternal are people. Your kids, my kids, the people that we know. So let's give our lives to them and let's value them and honor them as the gifts that they are, the gifts from God. Lord, as we come to the end of our time together, I just pray that you would take every word that's been spoken today and draw us more to in line with what your word teaches. It is true that oftentimes our world pulls us away and pulls us in a direction where we are not having the mindset of God, but having the mindset of modern world. And I would just pray, Lord, that in the midst of all of that stuff, that would all fall away and that we would seek what is timeless and true and that in the midst of whatever we face, we would honor those things that you honor, that we would value those things that you value and that we would give our lives to those things which are eternal instead of passing and fading away. And in the midst of it all, God, may you be glorified among we, your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for your time and for allowing me to go a bit long, especially on holiday weekend. And then on top of that, just a difficult subject, but thank you for your time you're appreciated, you're you're valued, you're appreciated, and I thank you so much for this opportunity to share with you what I believe God's Word teaches about something that's inescapable in your life right now. So, I hope you guys have a great July 4th. I'm just going to do this real quick. Every burger that you have tomorrow will be, no, I can't declare it, all right, but I mean, just go and eat it and enjoy it like it is guilt-free. Okay? Even have some good old ice cream. And may God bless you. I love you guys, and I appreciate you in so many ways. And I thank you for the time that you've given me. And I thank you for being a part of my life. God bless you. You're dismissed. We're ending the way we always do. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live. Love you guys.